These are the facts. The world is in trouble, but we're going to straighten it out. We are going to build the wall, okay? Don't worry. America first. Together, we will make America great again. That's what I do. I fix things. We're going to straighten it out. Time now for unprecedented, our weekly look at uh, things in the White House with my expert, Adrian Collins, uh, who spends the entire week looking at things in Washington, D.C. and reporting back here on this podcast, available to you as always by by subscribing on iTunes. Uh, Where do you want to start, Adrian? Well, the weekend was 100 days of Trump in office. And he had a very bizarre weekend, so there's a lot to talk about there. But I think we should probably concentrate on what came out at the end of last week, which was Trump's tax plan. And I'd put plan in inverted commas because it was a page long. It was a couple of bullet points. And according to reports from, I I read this in Politico, uh, according to reports, basically it was surprised a lot of people that he even said that this tax plan had to come out, mainly because it was based around the 100 days. So in a rally back in October in Pennsylvania... Donald Trump came out with this contract with the American voter and he signed the bottom of it. You could sign along next to him if you wanted to. And he made 38 promises that he was going to do. And when it got closer to 100 days in office, this was about his 100 days in office. When it got close to 100 days in office, he probably looked back on that contract and realised he hadn't done an awful lot of it. So he started to try and push through one or two things, tax being one of them. Apparently, Gary Cohn and, and Stephen Mnuchin, these people who are supposed to be putting this plan together, were actually surprised by him tweeting the previous week that, oh, we'll have a tax plan next week, don't worry about it. They had nothing written. They didn't have anything written by Tuesday evening, according to one insider, what, what one source told Politico. And on Wednesday, they have one-page tax plan and they didn't want to get into the details because, well, frankly, I don't think they have any details. Now, the one of the problems I would have thought for Trump in their tax plan is if he comes up with any kind of tax deal, which essentially would be a, a Republican deal, and he's true to his own, he makes tens of millions out of it. Well, we don't know. No, but uh, I mean, he, no matter what he does, do you know? Yeah. He, you know, it's like, they, they, which George Bush or Reagan or these kind of tax plans by Republican presidents about, Trump is in a position to benefit personally hugely. Well, this was, and this was a topic, uh, Stephen Mnuchin, who is Secretary of Treasury, appeared on Good Morning America and had to address a couple of these concerns. First of all, uh, George Stephanopoulos, who has been very good in recent weeks dealing with Trump, essentially surrogates and Trump people who've come on, he won't let them away with anything. So he pressed him on whether or not this new tax plan would actually hurt the middle classes. But don't the details matter? Can't, why can't you say how this is going to affect a middle class family? <laughs> well, the, the issue is that we are working with the House and the Senate, and our objective is to turn this into a bill that will pass and the president will sign. Can you guarantee that no one in the middle class is going to pay more? That's our objective, absolutely. Is it a guarantee? Uh, I can't make any guarantees until this thing is done and on the president's desk, but I can tell you that's our number one objective in this. That's... Political speak, if I've ever heard it, it's it's our number one objective, but I can't guarantee anything. And then after that, Stephanopoulos again pushed him on exactly what you were talking about. Why don't we know about Donald Trump's finances? And I just want to ask you one more time on this. The principle, this is the principle. Should someone making more than $150 million pay less than a 5% federal tax rate? 
again, the principle on this is getting rid of deductions and having fair taxes and simplifying taxes. That's what this is about. This is not about the president's taxes. Why don't, why don't the American people have a right to know how this will affect President Trump? The American public has lots of information on the president's financials. He's released more information, and people have lots of information. And you people say he's are released more information. The he's the only president that's in modern times who hasn't released on. since Nixon, who hasn't released his tax returns. That's not more information. That's far less. This is about American jobs. The Trump economic plan is about creating jobs, 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 and economic growth. The interesting thing on this, right, um, what pro-Trump supporters talk about constantly when they defend him not releasing his tax returns. They talk about all the stuff Obama didn't release because, of course, when there was this whole contention was Obama an African or an American or stuff, there was a big dispute about uh, his birth certificate. Then there was a dispute about whether he had paid to go to college or he got money from some far-right group and so on. So the Republican answer, the hard Republican answer to this is Trump has actually released more information than Obama did. I'm only saying that's a stock answer. But the interesting thing in the final words of your clip there, jobs, jobs, jobs. Just this week, uh, Jamie Dimon, who is the chief executive of uh, J.P. Morgan, the, the, the big bank, who interestingly has said he's going to move 4,000 people out of, out of London if, if Brexit happens the wrong way. But he said that Trump is the best thing that has happened to American jobs. And he said we're already seeing a major growth in American jobs. Well, there is a certain element of some, a lot of economists believe in this Laffer curve. So there's some area of taxation that will maximize revenues for the government and keep as many jobs as possible going, right? And that was something that uh, Declan Ganley brought up on the panel last week when we discussed 100 days in office. Now, certainly, Trump, whatever version of that Trump has, is something he's trying to apply with this kind of simplification of the tax rates. He's breaking it down from seven different tax rates to three. But this all seems to be done in sort of a very short time frame. This, as we learned from the Muslim ban, as we learned from healthcare, they seem to be throwing this together without a whole lot of thought for the repercussions down the line. And the estimations are anything between three and seven trillion that this could add to the deficit, which was a whole big problem for the Republicans right up until they were in power, that they said, oh, the Democrats just want to add to the deficit, just want to add to the deficit. And this, the government nearly had a shutdown because they couldn't afford to to fix everything in the budget. Now, they they made a deal briefly at the end of last week to fix all that. But it just seems to be that whether or not they have the details worked out, especially when it comes to tax, when it comes to the economy, seems to be a really big part of this that they haven't given enough information on. All right. Now, where you're listening, of course, to unprecedented, it's our uh, look at the Trump White House, our weekly look, I hasten to add, which you can get on iTunes. uh, And it's with Adrian Collins, who's our White House watcher. Now... I, I, I don't have a definitive thing here, but it seems to me that Trump, and he proved it during the original campaign before he became president, that he used the media to get, in effect, free advertising. Now what's happening is there is no doubt there is more media about this U.S. president than any other U.S. president I can remember. 
Uh, I certainly don't think we'd be having a... Well, we might have had a Nixon podcast if there had been podcasts at the time. But but the other thing, therefore, then, is his... You know, he agrees to come on and do interviews, but then it seems as if he doesn't like the interview. He just stomps off and off, doesn't he? Well, this was a big thing on uh, John Dickerson, who I have to say is one of my... Favorite. Well, if he's one of your favorites, (laughs) he's Trump's least favorite. (laughs) Well, I think Trump demonstrated that earlier on this week. But he's a very reasoned voice, uh, and he spoke to Donald Trump on uh, his Face the Nation show this past weekend, and he pushed him on a couple of issues that Trump himself didn't want to be pushed on. So as they got into this discussion, I'm sure somebody told Donald Trump, whatever you do, do not mention wiretapping again. We're in enough trouble over it and we don't need to hear about it in the media for the next couple of weeks because we're only answering more questions on it. Of his own volition, Trump brought it up and John Dickerson decided to push him on it. This is what happened. You saw what happened with surveillance and I think that was inappropriate. What does that mean, sir? uh, You can figure that out yourself. Well, The reason I asked is you said you called him sick and bad. Look, you can figure it out yourself. He was very nice to me with words, but and when I was with him, but after that, there has been no relationship. But you stand by that claim about him? I don't stand by anything. I just, uh, you can take it the way you want. I think our side's been proven very strongly, and everybody's talking about it, and frankly, it should be discussed. I think that is a very big surveillance of our citizens. I think that's a very big topic, and it's a topic that should be number one, and we should find out what the hell is going on? I just wanted to find out, though, you're, you're the president of the United States. You said he was sick and bad because he had tapped you. You can just... take any way. You can take it any way you want. But I'm asking you because you don't want it you to be fake news. I want to hear it from President Trump. Me. You don't have to ask me. Why not? Because I have my own opinions. You can have your own opinions. But I want to know your opinions. You're the president of the United okay. States. It's enough. Thank you. Thank you very much. And off he goes. Yeah. I See, the interesting thing I think about Trump is... Trump is clearly a demagogue. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, but he, he, he's a very bad communicator in a different way where he's communicating with another person in the interview, that like, like scenario. And that's a real example of it where he doesn't ever answer any questions or engage. You know, there's no engagement. It's an extraordinary thing. Now, I, I was reading somewhere about some sort of professor of linguistics and language and everything else who actually says that that Trump has a very low linguistic skill. You know, now he's following Obama, who, you know, had tremendously... He's a great orator, yeah. Correct. So this is the most interesting thing, and I think this is why Trump relies on Twitter rather than television, because he's a bad television performer. I think, well, he was a decent, you know, celebrity host of this, The Apprentice, whatever it was called, that he was on. But... He, when it comes to Twitter, he can condense down his his rather basic ideas, rather basic into grasp, 140 characters, into 140 characters, or three tweets in a tweet storm. Right. His lack of knowledge around the various intricacies of the things he's supposed to be talking about create problems when he tries to go okay. a, and provide any more but detail. If if there was one thing that people were afraid of, and I think that those fears have got greater, not less. And I think that's North Korea. Uh, how do how are you reading Trump and North Korea at the moment? Well, I think there was a massive embarrassment for the Trump presidency when he's having spoken to Chinese President Xi Jinping. He had this North Korea situation explained to him by the Chinese president. Now, before you go on that phone call, one, 
you should know generally what's going on in North Korea. And two, you should have been very well briefed on what China's role would be, how you can work with them on it. But by all accounts, that phone call involved Xi Jinping explaining to him what would happen if they simply choked off North Korea entirely, and that they would have a flood of refugees coming into China and South Korea, and they would have problems to deal with. So the fact that Donald Trump didn't seem to understand that, he only, stand, he only seems to understand one move ahead and doesn't consider the next couple of moves. But he also then created further controversy in, during the week with another interview that, again, by all accounts from Washington, uh, sources in Washington who were speaking to Politico, they didn't think he needed to do. And he said this about the North Korean leader. What do you make of the North Korean leader? People are saying, is he sane? I have no idea. I can tell you this, and a lot of people don't like when I say it, but he was a young man of 26 or 27 when he took over from his father, when his father died. Uh, he's dealing with, obviously, very tough people, in particular the generals and others. And at a very young age, he was able to assume power. A lot of people, I'm sure, tried to take that power away, whether it was his uncle or anybody else. and. He was able to do it. So, obviously, he's a pretty smart cookie. If it would be appropriate for me to meet with him, I would absolutely, I would be honored to do it under the right circumstances. So those are two separate interviews. One is with John Dickerson again, and one is with Bloomberg, and both of which raised a lot of consternation, especially from Senator John McCain, who essentially said, by speaking about being honored to talk to this smart cookie of a dictator, he's giving him a platform on an international relations scene that he doesn't need. And secondly, Trump goes to the table with China to talk about North Korea with a bad hand. He China knows, especially now, that Trump is in a, a place where he needs to get a media win. So when he goes to the table, they can kind of play him to say, look how well this will play in the media for you when you're finished, and we can both get something out of it. And that might be to the disadvantage of the United States. Mm. I, I thought the most bizarre thing was when he went all the way back to the Civil War and he sort of said Civil War wouldn't happen if Andrew Jackson was in charge. Now, in memory serves, Jackson was one of the worst ever presidents of the United States. Uh, he was Northern Ireland, I think, interestingly. Uh, but, but, I mean, it, it was a bizarre intervention. It was, it was bizarre and, again, totally unnecessary. He didn't need to give this interview. People asked, essentially, in the White House, why is he giving it? This clip from CNN, I think, perfectly sums up exactly what was wrong with what he said about Andrew Jackson. Had Andrew Jackson been a little bit later, you wouldn't have had the Civil War. He was really angry that he saw what was happening with regard to the Civil War. He said, there's no reason for this. The problem? Andrew Jackson had been dead for 16 years when the Civil War started and was also a slave owner. I think that's pretty clear, the, the Civil War. <laughs> well, I mean, that, it, that, that's the point. I mean, Andrew Jackson and the Civil War, but you couldn't get them in the same sentence, you know? Uh, Un unless you had, like we mentioned earlier, a very loose grasp of American history, American presidents, the office that you were holding, and you're trying to improvise. Yeah. I, that's why I don't think in a lot of these interviews, uh, in the interview with John Dickerson, what he said is, I don't stand by anything, which is an incredible statement for an American I, president I, I to say. I think the essential problem for, for, for what we're now seeing, you know, and, and I've repeated it a number of times, is that the people who voted for Trump still support him. I don't think there's been any change of a meaningful number. Like 40-odd percent yeah. voted for him, his approval ratings of 40-odd percent, which basically means the people who voted for him think he's great. The and recent they, polls showed a 1 or 2 percent, yeah. nothing. And now. if you look at the rallies, all those people 
are still there. I The real question is now that I think the most worrying feature about all this, I'm not worried about tax and all this. I'm worried about North Korea. And, and, uh, and I think China are worried about North Korea because China are very unhappy with North Korea, but... They, they don't want to go to war with their next-door neighbor, you know. No. It's a totally different situation for America uh, where you have essentially two loose cannons in charge of both countries. And I think the, the issue with North Korea that probably had to be explained to Trump is if you put on economic sanctions, this is a country that has already gone through a famine in, in recent memory. There was a famine in North Korea in, in the 90s. This is not... This is a, a, a family of... I suppose, dictators that are more than happy to let their people suffer in in light of economic sanctions. They don't particularly care. And Kim Jong-un, in that case, has is trying to arm himself with nuclear weapons because it seems like a fairly rational thing to do if you feel that you're being attacked from all sides. All right. Well, of course, it's unprecedented in the company of Adrian Collins, who I don't need to tell you here it, his knowledge is positively encyclopedic of the Trump White House. There's to close, yes, yeah. you've got something to say about healthcare. I do. We talk about healthcare an awful lot on this podcast, and this is a politics podcast. It's easy when we're talking about numbers and political bias and the left and the right and GOP and all this stuff to forget that the real people who are affected by healthcare are American citizens and children. So late night host Jimmy Kimmel spoke quite emotionally uh, earlier on this week about the birth of his child who was born with a, a heart defect, which is a pre-existing condition. Uh, under the Health Care Act, he wouldn't have been able to save, uh, well, I suppose he was well enough off to do it, but other people who were in a similar situation would have gone bankrupt or would have had to choose between saving their child or going totally bankrupt and having no money. I think this clip really reminds us of the human side of it. And I will say, if, you've, if you're feeling a little bit delicate or emotional today, this choked me up a little bit. So if you're in public, maybe have a, have a Kleenex handy. Thanks, Adrian. President Trump last month proposed a $6 billion cut in funding to the National Institute of Health. And thank God our congressman um, made a deal last night to not go along with that. They actually increased funding by $2 billion. And I applaud them for doing that. More than 40% more than of the people who would have been affected by those cuts to the National Institute of Health are children, which is so unbelievably sad to me. We were brought up to believe that we live in the greatest country in the world. But in, until what, a few years ago, millions and millions of us had no access to health insurance at all. You know, before 2014, if you were born with congenital heart disease like my son was, there was a good chance you'd never be able to get health insurance because you had a pre-existing condition. If your baby is going to die, and it doesn't have to, it, it shouldn't matter how much money you make. That, I think that's something that, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or something else, we all agree on that, right? I mean, we do. And whatever your party, whatever you believe, whatever you support, we need to make sure that the people who are supposed to represent us, the people who are meeting about this right now in Washington, understand that very clearly. Let's stop with the nonsense. This isn't football. There are no teams. We are the team. It's the United States. Don't let their partisan squabbles divide us on something every decent person wants. We need to take care of each other. And I saw a lot of families there, and no parent should ever have to decide if they can afford to save their child's life 
It, it just shouldn't happen. Not here.